Welcome to Bible Center Church, and thank you so much for joining us on BC Podcast. Here's a message to encourage your heart this week. Welcome again to Bible Center Church. I'm Pastor Mike. It's good to have you here. What a fun morning. Bible Center School families, thank you for coming, being a part of the service. Thank you for bringing your kids. You've helped make this special. We appreciate you. So for Christmas, what we're focusing on is Bethlehem, the Advent of Hope. So this is our second sermon. And we're going to start this sermon with a question. The question is, where are you from? Where are you from? If someone were to ask me that question, I'd say, well, get on Highway 77, go up north about three hours. You're going to pass Canton, Ohio, and then you're going to get to this exit for the Akron-Canton Airport. Maybe you're familiar with it. Get off there, go about five miles. That's where I spent the first 20 years of my life. And it's a little town called North Canton. Our high school was the Hoover Vikings. There's There's the high school. I don't even know if it's still standing today. I mean, I'm not a spring chicken anymore, so that was a while ago. Uh, We were named the Hoover Vikings because we had the Hoover vacuum cleaner plant right there in our town. Um, Luckily, we're the Vikings, not the vacuum cleaners. Um, But that's part of my history. And my dad worked in the steel industry. My wife, who I was dating at that time, her dad worked in the steel industry. It was kind of like coal around here. Uh, It wasn't great. It was on the decline. So something I heard all the time growing up was, we're not sure if dad's going to be able to keep his job this year. So we constantly thought, you know, what's going to happen? There was just this fear that was in our family and in the town all the time. And uh, after I did leave high school, my dad and my wife's father both lost their jobs in steel. It still just continued to plummet. Uh, In this little town, uh, there are a lot of blue collar folks and white collar folks. I loved my friends in high school. I loved being a competitive runner in high school. I was okay when it comes to doing grades, didn't enjoy them as much as the other things, and I loved doing ministry. And just from those few things, you understand a lot more about me. Now, it doesn't really matter much about my background. What we're here to talk about is getting to know our Savior a little better and his background. So his background is he was born in a place called Bethlehem. He spent a lot of his childhood in Nazareth, but he spent those first couple days in his family's background, and Joseph's background was Bethlehem. So to get to know him a little bit better, it'd be fun to get to know where he came from a little bit better. So as I spent time studying Bethlehem in the Bible, but then also in other sources, it was interesting. This single word just kept popping up, both in Scripture, in Micah 5, and then also in different resources— It would describe Bethlehem as small, little, even they would use the word insignificant. So Bethlehem was not large. It was not known for being an economic center. People didn't go there on the weekends to do things. It didn't have much sway. It didn't have much influence. In many ways, Bethlehem lived in the shadow of Jerusalem, okay? It was kind of just like a city on the outskirts. It wasn't easy to find water in Bethlehem. There weren't a lot of jobs in Bethlehem. It was really considered an insignificant town. But what's fun about the time we spend studying Bethlehem is it goes from being this insignificant town to a place from which seismic waves start to come forth. Seismic waves burst forth from Jerusalem, changing Israel, the surrounding countries, and eventually the whole world for all time. Let's take a look at Bethlehem in the Old Testament. So here's a map. Uh, When you look at Bethlehem in the Old Testament, there are actually two Bethlehems. I'm not sure if you can see it, but there's one up north by Nazareth, and then there's one farther south by 
Jerusalem. And the one where Jesus is born is the one farther south by Jerusalem. It's not mentioned a bunch in the Old Testament, but in Genesis 35, 19, it says, so Rachel, Isaac's wife, Rachel died and was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. So one little thing that happened is Rachel was died and was buried, like by the city gates or inside of Bethlehem. Another interesting thing is if you're familiar with the book of Ruth, and we're not going to be able to go through all of it, I encourage you to, to read it to go more in depth, but a woman named Naomi came from Bethlehem. She moved to Moab with a husband and two sons. And over the course of time, she lost her husband and her two sons. And she felt like it was time to go back to Bethlehem. And in doing so, one of her daughter-in-laws, Ruth, connects to her and goes with her back to Bethlehem. And in Bethlehem, this amazing story happens where Ruth meets and marries a man named Boaz. If you're familiar with the Old Testament, you'll know that Ruth and Boaz have a child named Obed. And they have a child named Jesse. That name might sound familiar. Jesse has a child named David. And David ends up becoming the king of Israel from the town of Bethlehem. So there's kind of a big thing that's starting to happen in terms of this little town, Bethlehem. In 1 Samuel 17, uh, in verses 12 through 15, we learn that David was born and raised in Bethlehem. He was a shepherd in Bethlehem. So if we're to fast forward, and we've sung songs about this, where the angels visit some shepherds outside of Bethlehem, when David was a shepherd, he was likely in those same fields that those shepherds were in when they met the angels. He was writing some of the Psalms that we use today and read today, likely in those fields. So in little sleepy Bethlehem, there's a future king writing Psalms, which become scripture that we use to worship God. So we see that happening in the background as well. So we also get a few prophecies considering Bethlehem. We see that little Bethlehem has a big future. In Genesis 49.10, we're promised that the scepter shall not depart from Judah. The scepter, that is the king, the rulership, will not depart from Judah, one of the tribes of Israel. And in Judah is Bethlehem. So what we see happening is David comes from Judah. Jesus ultimately in the line of David comes from Judah, which is why he's called the Lion of Judah, Jesus is. So there's a promise given that from Judah, and later we realize this from Bethlehem, the king is going to come. Micah chapter five, verse two goes a little more in depth. It says, but you Bethlehem, though you are small, the Bible says it, Bethlehem, you're, you're small, you're little among the clans of Judah. Out of you will come for me one who will be the ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times, one who is the ancient of days. So from little Bethlehem is coming a future ruler, not some ordinary ruler. There's a description here that's given that could only refer to one person, the son of God, one who is the ancient of days. So before this person is born, he already was and has been forever and ever. He is the ancient of days. So everyone begins to look at little Bethlehem. There's something coming. There's something 
on its way. There's some rumblings taking forth. Out of little Bethlehem comes something that's going to literally change the world. Bethlehem in the days of Jesus. So let's fast forward a little bit. So from the Old Testament to kind of around and before Jesus was born, what was Bethlehem like then? So it was about 10 kilometers or six miles southwest of Jerusalem. So if I was standing in Jerusalem, if we were in Jerusalem, if I put on some running shoes, I like to run in about 45 minutes, I could run to, if I didn't get attacked by anything, I could run to Bethlehem. It'd be like being from this point to St. Albans or Tornado. That's about how far away Bethlehem is from Jerusalem. Jerusalem is located up in the mountains. So is Bethlehem. Both are about 2,500 feet above sea level in the Judean mountains. So it would be accurate to say that Jesus was born in the mountains. He was born about the same altitude as a Beckley or Princeton, West Virginia. In terms of the population of Bethlehem during that day, we're not completely certain, but best guesses are between 300 and 1,000 people is about the size of Bethlehem in that day. So maybe this type of town that would have one stoplight, maybe two. If you were to compare it to towns that we know here, it would be on the big side, maybe about the size of Clendenin. On the medium size, about Malden. On the small size, maybe about Big Chimney. It's not the size of Thurmond. As I was looking at these, have you ever heard of Thurmond? So here's a picture of Thurmond. Uh, it has a population of five. It says there's five people, a single family living in an old railway depot town, Thurmond, in Fayette County. Um, that's in the 2020 census. I looked at the 2021 stats. Now there's only three people there. So I don't know what happened to the two, um, but now it's a population of three. Um, so that's Thurmond. Bethlehem was bigger than Thurmond. Bethlehem has high, hot, dry summers, mild, wet winters. They average about 28 inches of rainfall per year. We here average about 48, so it's going to be a wet day here, more likely a dry day in Bethlehem. And by almost every single standard, Bethlehem was considered a pretty insignificant, small, and little town. Our second point is from insignificant to seismic. The rumblings begin. When it came time for the census, Joseph was to return to Bethlehem, where his family is from, and he would take his pregnant fiance Mary with him from Nazareth to Bethlehem. Here's a map of that. This was no little journey, especially for two folks who were young and a wife who's not pregnant. But here we have someone who's very pregnant, a young man, probably not a lot of stuff, making this very difficult journey from Nazareth to Bethlehem. Now, in Bethlehem, they would have found some of Joseph's, Joseph's family. They would have been there to welcome them. They would have been excited to see them. But when we think of kings and rulers and great leaders, you imagine them being born in capitals into royal families. In fact, in Matthew 2.1, when you see the wise men come to try to figure out where Jesus is, they want to find this, this king. They go to Jerusalem, Right? They don't first go to Bethlehem, they go to Jerusalem because that's where you'd expect to find a king. When the star pops up in the sky, you'd assume you would go to Jerusalem. Well, that's not the case. When the king of kings, when the Lord of lords, when the very son of God is born, it's not in a great hall, it's not in a castle, no trumpets sound, it's not in Rome, it's not in Jerusalem. 
It's in a place that was considered very insignificant, small and little for its day. The King of Kings is born in Bethlehem. God takes an unassuming family, an insignificant village, and a bunch of unexpected people like shepherds and eventually fishermen and tax collectors, and he literally changes the world. The promise this made in the Garden of Eden where God says to Adam and Eve that there's one coming through you that's going to crush the enemy, that is fulfilled in Bethlehem. When God looks at Abraham and says, through you, all nations will be blessed, that is fulfilled in Bethlehem. When God promises to David that the rulership will not leave your house, that's fulfilled in Bethlehem. When the maker of heaven and earth steps down from his throne, takes on flesh and blood to seek and save the lost, people like you and me, that is fulfilled in Bethlehem. Like a stone thrown into a lake or an earthquake or a volcanic eruption, the entire earth is moved and changed and altered by the coming of Jesus in Bethlehem. Everything is changed. Our insignificant village our insignificant village. Some might look at our state and consider it small. Some might look at our state and consider it lacking in influence. Some would even say insignificant. Here's a picture of Manhattan Island, or a rendering of Manhattan Island. Uh, there are 1.62 million people on that island. That island's about 22 square miles. If you had a, a day to yourself and some feet that felt really good, you could walk a lot of this island in one day. 1.62 million people are on that island. We have 1.78 million people in this state. We could almost squish the entire state of West Virginia onto that island. That's the size that we are. We're not a big place. Our state's GDP in the first quarter of 2023, the gross domestic product, made up 0.4% of the total U.S. economy. U.S. News and Reports keeps rankings of states in different areas and ways of measuring the size of states and what they're doing and accomplishing. In terms of healthcare and infrastructure, we're ranked number 50 out of 50. In terms of economy and education, we're ranked 47 out of 50. When I talked to a friend who moved here from Canada, when she moved here, she didn't realize West Virginia was even a state. And you might think, well, that's a bad thing. Do you remember Bethlehem? God likes working with little places. God likes moving in places that the world might call insignificant. God likes using people like you and like me. God specializes in the insignificant. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, if you have your Bible with you, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27 says this, but God chose the foolish things of the world, the foolish things, to shame the wise, God chose with intentionality the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things, not by accident. God chose these. And he chose the things that are not to nullify the things that are. Why? So that no one may boast before him. There's a beauty when people come to God and say, I have nothing to offer. There's a beauty when we say this place could only be changed if God chooses to move because at the end of the day, no one pats their own back. Everyone points up and says, it's because of you. There's a beauty to that. I would like to say 
God is doing significant things in our little insignificant village. God has been active and at work for a long time. For 80 years, God has been faithful to this church. There have been ups and there have been downs, but God has been faithfully active moving in the people and the families in this church. There are generations in this church. There are those who had children and those children have come to know Christ and they've had their children and they have come to know Christ. This has been a place where there's been faithful ministry where you've been able to pass on your faith to generation after generation to generation. People here are starting to share their faith more and more. We've had 74 people baptized this year. That is no little thing. And there's more who are ready to be baptized because people are being open and honest about Jesus and how Jesus has changed their life. God's doing stuff in our midst. He didn't pass us by. There may be other states and people that pass us by. God's not passing us by. He's giving us attention. He's being intentional in the way that he's working in us and through us to see change. More than ever, we're seeing the gospel go into schools in our area, the gospel going into homes in our area, the gospel going into places of work. Last night I was downtown. Uh, my daughter did a winter formal uh, with her boyfriend and we went down to take pictures. And while I was down there, I saw the young adults, the college and the young adults ministry down there passing out hot chocolate and giving out invitations to come to the Christmas Eve service. That group didn't even exist a couple years ago here. God has built that group up and using them to invite people to come and hear about him. God is doing stuff. God is at work. I would also like to suggest that God will continue to do significant things here. God's not done with us. I would say God's just beginning to do things here. This Christmas season, I want you to think about ways that God can use you in this Christmas season's. Little you and little me, insignificant you, insignificant me. How can God use people like us to begin changing the world? It might be this season, these couple weeks, you're thinking about how to have a conversation with that neighbor. It might be you diligently praying for that family member or that friend. It might be a matter of inviting someone into your home for Christmas Eve, for a dinner, for a lunch, to coffee. It might be a matter of inviting someone to church that they might hear about who Jesus is and what he's done. It's God using you in those little moments to do big things that change eternity. God loves using people as they take small steps of faith. God loves using people as they take small steps of faith. What's the small step of faith that God's calling you to in this season? Even as I'm talking, I'm sure you have a name or a face in your head and in your heart. What is that small step of faith that you're going to take with that person in the next couple of weeks? Can you imagine? Now, so I have a point of view where I can see how many people are here. There are over 400 people in this room. If each person in here took that small step of faith in the next couple of weeks, can you see how big things start to happen very quickly? when each of us trust God and believe that he can use people even like us to take those small steps of faith, big things start to happen. So who is that person in your life? What's that step that God is calling you to? If, if we began to trust God, if we started to take those steps of faith, each of us started to do that, imagine what starts happening on a bigger scale. I read those stats to you, and I don't care much about those stats. If we're 50th, 47th, who cares? 
But those things start to change when God starts to move in the hearts of people. When God starts to build a church, those stats start to change. Why? People don't just start coming to West Virginia because it's a beautiful place to live. They come here because they want to be a part of something bigger, a part of something that God is doing. People come here to grow spiritually, to be transformed spiritually, to be equipped and to learn how to disciple other people. What if we became a place like that? What if we became the type of place that people from around the country said, I want to be a part of that. God is moving there. And you know how that starts? Each one of us taking those small steps of faith. When each one of us start taking those small steps of faith, God starts doing bigger and bigger things. 39 years ago, there's a little town in Ohio called Mogador, probably smaller than Jerusalem was, a small little town called Mogador. And my mom would take me to my grandmother's and she would take me to her church. And this was not a church that was young and vibrant. There was only me and a couple other kids there. Most of the other folks there were about my grandmother's age. I'm not sure if that church is even still there. But going to that church, there were people that were taking small steps of faith. There were a couple ladies who were leading a Sunday school that I went to, and they took the time to share with me what it meant to know Jesus. God worked in my heart in those moments, and they changed everything about the trajectory of my life because through their faithfulness, I came to know Christ. In a small town, in a dying church, we saw faithfulness. And in that faithfulness, lives were changed. In your family, in your place of work, in your circle where your friends are, what type of little things could you do that might shape and change eternity for the people in your life? Those small steps can turn into seismic waves that affect where you work, your family, and the things in your life. God loves to use people just like us. God loves to work in places just like ours. God loves to do significant things in places that the world might call insignificant. Bethlehem reminds us that God can use people like you and people like me. Bethlehem reminds us that God can use places like this. May God do so from insignificant to seismic waves that change this church, this city, this valley, and God willing, this state. Let's ask him to do so. Father, we come before you, and with great thankfulness, we're thankful to be a part of your church. We're thankful to be a part of this church. And I pray in this season that you would challenge each one of us individually with those small steps of faith, someone that we need to talk to, someone we need to pray for, a phone call we need to make, a text we need to send, an invitation to a coffee, a lunch, or to a church service. God, do those things in us and through us. Use us, insignificant people. Use this place, a small town, to make big things happen. To your glory, in Christ's name, amen. For more information, visit us at BibleCenterChurch.com and give us a follow on all platforms at Bible Center. 